Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. We have to find the antidote to fear. And what that looks like is a relationship plus respect equals love. That was Sheila Calloway starting out this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And she's part of an effort to deal with a major issue in our culture, but from an angle you probably wouldn't expect. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio with Gabe Lyons. And Gabe, what is that issue? We're talking about a serious issue in our society, something that a lot of young people I know, because I have several of them in my family, are dealing with. And that is a lot of fear in our society about violence, specifically about gun violence. And so at Q this past year, we said, let's let's take a little bit of a different take on this. Let's talk to someone and, and have them educate us a little bit about what they're seeing amongst the youth today where we're seeing a lot of school shootings. We're seeing a lot of different moments that are tragic, that are involving this just aimless acts of violence that are meant to destroy other lives, but don't always seem to have any kind of point, any kind of purpose, does it ever? And so we invited Judge Sheila Calloway. Now, Judge Sheila Calloway, she was elected as a juvenile court judge in August of 2014, and since then have had hundreds and hundreds of juveniles or teenagers come before her court. And in that situation, her job is to evaluate what they've done wrong and then to judge them, to sentence them, to try to give them a way to get back on the track before their life starts to run down a path that could lead to ultimate destruction or, or the worst case scenario, going to prison for most of their lives. And so Sheila Calloway is somebody who lives this out in her own life. She's serving in the community. She helps with the Second Harvest Food Bank. She's been married to her husband, Paul, for many years, and they have one son together. But we wanted to invite her to talk about a topic which we called an antidote to gun violence. Now, this talk doesn't get deep into the weeds of specifically what's happening with gun violence. But what it does do is, is give you a new perspective on how is it that we can counteract what seems to be happening with our youth today? What is it that's going on that's driving them to these extreme ways of action to either get attention or to try to solve problems or to take out their anger and frustration that they're feeling deep inside? on other people and on innocent lives. And so we ask her, how can we help our youth in a violent age? I think you're going to enjoy listening to her solutions. I think you're going to enjoy hearing a judge who day in and day out is dealing with teenagers and dealing with trying to lay out consequences that could actually make a difference in their life, help restore them, help them get back on the right track. I think you're going to be surprised by what she encourages everybody in the Q audience to do as they participate in trying to be an antidote to gun violence. I'm really not talking about, per se, the antidote to gun violence. What I am going to focus on is the importance of dining together. Now, you may think, you know, what does gun violence and dining together really have connected? Well, I think we can all agree, as Gabe just said, that we know that there's a problem. We know that today our world 
is inundated with guns and gun violence. And no matter where you fall on the debates about guns, we can all admit that there's a lot of guns. And I hope we also know that the more guns that we have in our communities, the more access our youth, unfortunately, have to guns. And when I have conversations with our youth about guns and and why and where, and they can tell you how easy it is for them to have access to guns. And then we can also all agree that there are way too many incidents. So we wake up in the morning and hear about another gun and another shooting and another school shooting. And we can all probably agree that we are losing way too many people, especially our youth, to guns. The never-ending, staggering statistics, I could take all of my nine minutes and talk about that because the numbers are out of this world. And then there's that never-ending debate on gun laws and gun control and what do we do. But as much as we talk about it and as much as we debate and much as we go back and forth, we don't necessarily focus on the real source of the problem. The real source of the problem of gun violence. And when I talk to young people and say, why do you carry a gun? The number one answer that I always get is for protection. Occasionally we got some people that are hunting, but the number one thing that we hear is protection. And so when you think about that, and you think about why people are saying, I need a gun for protection, what that boils down to is fear. It's fear. And we as Christians know that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But we can say that scripture over and over and over again, but we still have that fear. We fear the unknown. If I go out in the nighttime to go to the store and I see strange people on the other side of the parking lot, what comes up in me? Fear. When I see people I don't know in strange paces, I have fear. And for a lot of my young people, there's a disconnectedness from a fear of learning about others. And so they are disconnected to that you and I and all of us are all one and together. And so what we have to do is we have to combat, we have to find the antidote to fear. And what that looks like is a relationship plus respect equals love. And love cancels out fear. So if you build relationships with people, if you learn to respect one another, you will learn to love one another, which will take away that fear. And so what are our steps to this antidote of fear? The number one thing, like Ford just talked about, we have to learn how to dine together. When you dine together, you're fellowshipping with one another. 
You're learning about one another. You're taking that time to connect with each other. You're learning how to respect one another. And you are learning how to love one another. And so what does dining together really look like? Well, we've got some examples, especially some scriptural examples. When you think about when Levi, the tax collector, wanted to throw a great big party for Jesus, and he invited all the other tax collectors. Oh, yeah, and by the way, some sinners, along with the leaders and the Pharisees. That was an example of dining together, no matter who you are. And Jesus said, everyone should be at this table to dine together. And when you think about when Jesus fed the 5,000, not only did he feed them with food, he fed them with some words. He dined with them so that they all went away satisfied and full. And then you also think even about the last supper that Jesus had. And it was an example of not only dining together, but serving Serving one another, dining together, even knowing that there's one here that will betray me. I still can sit at the table together. So when we think about dining together, I want you to just step out of the box for a minute. And don't think about necessarily a table for dining. Each and every one of you has an opportunity to dine together when you think about the definition of dining, is to come together with others to share in a resource. It always doesn't have to be a table, nor does it have to be about food. And so when I think about the work that we do in juvenile court here in Davidson County, we truly dine together with our youth and our family. We bring them together. Now, sometimes they don't want to come. Sometimes they come because they have to come. But we bring them together. We bring them to us. And we feed them with the necessary resources that they need to become successful. We feed them with resources just as if we were feeding with them with bread to eat. We bring victims together with offenders. And we place them together to talk to one another, to restore relationships together. And we take our time to learn about the youth who are in front of us and to learn about what they need and what they want in order to help them to be successful. So I challenge each and every one of you all to believe that the true antidote to gun violence is something that each and every one of us has within us. We can't rely on the laws to solve gun violence. We cannot rely on legislators to solve gun violence. We have to rely on the love that we have for one another. And the more that we dine together, the more that we learn about one another, the more that we have respect for one another, that will be the antidote to gun violence. Thank you.
love what Sheila had to say in this talk where she talks about a lot of different ideas. But I love how simple she makes what our role could be. If we really want to make change, if we want to create change, it wasn't some grandiose idea. It wasn't some big strategy. It wasn't some way that every church could be a part of a program that's going to solve this problem. But she made it very personal. She said, we need to host people for dinner, right? We have to learn how to dine together. This is her quote. When you dine together, you are fellowshipping with one another. Okay, simple. But how many of us are doing that today? How many of us are hosting people in our homes? How many of us are having dinners? How many of us are having long conversations, even if it's just with our own children or our own spouses or our own friends, where we sit around the table and we listen to one another and we dialogue about some of the things that maybe are burdening us, maybe some of the stress, anxiety, fears that we're experiencing, but there's not always places to do that. Well, the table has always been a place historically to do that. And I will say Christians historically have been pretty good at hospitality. It's been one of those virtues that no matter what kind of setting the church was in, whether they were in power, but probably more often when they did not have any kind of cultural power, they were hosting dinners. They were inviting people into their homes. They were showing hospitality as a way to demonstrate God's love in the most personal of ways absent of any type of cultural power. And Gabe, as Q has for a long time talked about, the practice of hospitality is an important practice that the church has a long history of engaging in. At QIdeas.org, there's a great talk by Greg Thompson on the history of the practice of hospitality. We featured it on this program, and if you haven't heard the talk, just search for hospitality at QIdeas.org. Now, let's get a bit more practical about the concept of hospitality because it is a practice that can help in many areas of our culture. And what better way to learn about hospitality than from someone who works in the hospitality industry? This past spring during the Q Conference in Nashville, co-host Joe Baraka had a chance to talk with Ford Fry, an entrepreneur in the restaurant industry in the Atlanta area. Let's... Let's listen in as Ford Fry shares his story and about what he's learned about some of the practical aspects of hospitality. I've actually actually been to two of your restaurants, Super Rico. We were just talking backstage. All two? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I can't go to. I ain't got that much money to go to all ten. So um, bring those prices down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but you you do a wonderful job. And how did you discover that you had a gift? to not only making great food, but making environments for creating spaces where people would love that food and that and the experience as well. I, I grew up in Houston and I was uh, uh, went to a pretty, probably the hardest school in Houston, St. John's, and I made C's, okay? <laughs> Come eighth grade, they told my parents, hey, Ford may need to go to the public school next door because he's not going to be able to hang during high school. So I went to public school next door in IB classes, okay? And I made C's. Then uh, they kicked me out of IB, and they sent me out to the temporary sheds in Normal, and I made C's, okay? So I was never a student, but I always loved eating out. My, my grandparents, my parents, they always took us, and we, were, we ate out. I loved eating food, okay? So I thought, well, let me get into this restaurant business, and I started off as a busboy. Don't cringe here, but I was the worst busboy known to mankind because all I wanted to do was hang down by the dish pit and eat the food that was coming back off the plates, okay? So at that point, I'm like, all right, I'm doomed. My parents thought I was doomed because that was my passion. Uh, so uh, eating, off, eating off dirty plates. Yeah. So, um, you know, speed up time. My, you know, finally, my parents said, hey, you love to cook. You love to eat, obviously. 
and uh, why don't you go to culinary school? So I went to culinary school, and I started off as, you know, just worked my way as a chef, and that was it. I loved it, and it clicked, and everyone was proud of their son. Um, but I always ask myself the question, like, what would you do if money was not a was not an option? What would I do? And I just loved the experience of restaurants. So mm-hmm. I want to create restaurants. Um, the whole picture from the music to the, I mean, it starts with the food for sure is the number one, but then everything else really is really high level importance. And I think at that point, I just sit out there and did it and it just kind of worked, you know? Yeah. So I think that's, that's how I found out, I guess. Excellent. Well, I, as much as I love food culture in Atlanta, I also recognize how terrible the hospitality is. Yeah. Every restaurant is not Chick-fil-A. Every servant doesn't say my pleasure. How have you <laughs> been able to create environments and change kind of like the philosophy of work in your restaurant to where you, even how you manage the, the, the your employees and the members in your restaurant? It's not necessarily something that I've done intentionally. It's it's basically, it's my nature as, I never thought I was a great leader, but um, I, I am very humble and I want to, I like to put everyone before myself. So servant leadership really mm-hmm. comes, comes into play there. And, and you know, a lot of times restaurants, if you treat your staff like they're a tool, or probably any industry, you treat your staff like they're a tool and they're replaceable, that's not going to foster hospitality throughout their life and their or their their job and when they're working. But if you treat them as someone that you value higher, most you value them more than anything, right. they're they're happy, you know, and it shows. It shows in the hospitality uh, as it comes out in their day. So yeah. I think that's yeah. how we do it. A lot of people don't view uh, the restaurant business as an art, but yeah. you know you've figured out how to make it an art, and, and you have a quite impressive resume. How do you not just rest on the success that you have? How do you continue to push yourself so that you can become greater and that your restaurants yeah. become greater? Most chefs, I'd say, are pretty ADD. We we're not we we can't just focus on one thing. We like change. I like change. So every day is, so in the restaurant, as far as the kitchen goes, it always started out as, all right, how can we make this dish better? How can we serve this better? You know, how can it be hotter? How can we buy better quality ingredients? Whatever. There's always this thing of how we can be better. But I think, um, really it came to this point. Has anyone taken that test, the, uh, read the book? Cause you know, I didn't read the book because I was a C student, but I took the test in the back of the book of a, it's called the Strength Finder. And I'm sure some of you read that, but it, it said, it, it told me that I, I thought I was a creative. And I, well, I'm not a, I mean, I may have a little bit of creative here and there, but I was a maximizer. Yeah. And that is someone who sees something or sees an idea and can figure out a way to make it better or make it cooler or whatever. And so that's what I do when we, you know, I travel around, I see things and, and that's where my mind goes is when I see something, I'm like, this is awesome. And the, but this is what we could do to make it better. So that's, that's I don't know. That's where so my mind. What goes. are some of the what are some of the ingredients that you, that makes up the southern hospitality that makes your restaurant so great? I I think there's one ingredient is when people come in, um, they have to feel that you are so happy that they're there. Mm. They have to genuinely feel that. If they don't genuinely feel that from the host stand. Uh, to making their way to the table, then it's just it's just not there. So yeah. um, that's the key right there. 
So as we're talking about reclaiming hospitality, Christians have been known throughout history to be very hospitable, especially over males. Um, I guess we're losing a little bit of yeah. that. How, is, how important is it for us to relearn the gift of hospitality? You know, I, I think that's huge. And I, I've noticed that recently when um, sometimes people, and I, I think this, our, our, this time right now, everyone's about themselves and what makes them comfortable. And even uh, they don't want to entertain or they don't want to open their doors up for people because it's going to put them out. It's going to make them work a little bit harder. It's going to make them clean or make them do something else. But I think that really shows, you know, when you, when you, like my wife is fantastic with hospitality, even though I got to cook all the time, she does everything else, but, but it's all about, um, really making them feel like when they come into our house that uh, they're our focus and we are happy to be cooking with them and, and, and serving them. And, and I think that's getting lost a little yeah. bit, you know? I mean, a lot of people are just like, yeah, come in, here you go. What do you eat what you want in the fridge or whatever? But there wasn't much thought that went into it. And I think it's the thought, you know, that really goes into all of that stuff that, um, and, and, and defeating people and serving them. I mean, gosh, Jesus like brought them into the house and washed their feet by, you know, and that's, that's ultimate hospitality right there. You know? So are you so, telling us that one of your restaurants is going to start washing feet? Absolutely. Every day. No. Mm-hmm. no. We have, we, <laughs> Well, this is not on the iPad, and we have a, a minute left. You're, you're going to open a restaurant here in Nashville. Yeah. Can we get like a sneak peek of like, like what type of restaurant will it be? Yeah. So anyone who's from here, Germantown uh, is an old. It's kind of the old meatpacking area of Germantown, right on the river. So it's a big building. It's two twenty thousand square feet on two. So. 10,000 and 10,000 on two levels. It's an old hammer mill where they made the hammers to axes and so forth. Mm. So we're taking the whole bottom level and then a third of the top. So the main restaurant is called uh, the Sea Wolf. So it's going to be heavy seafood focused. Um, you'll go in the restaurant and there's also going to be a stairs that's going to go upstairs um, to kind of a bougie uh, cocktail lounge. I'm all about booze. We talk about uh, liquor in here, you know. Oh, I'm um, not about liquor because no, no. I'm a Southern Baptist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a cocktail lounge uh, <laughs> serving raw oysters and other shellfish and things like that, tableside cocktails and things like that. So another yeah. place for people to come and hang and converse with each other. And then we're also doing our version of a honky-tonk um, with a little stage uh, and a little taqueria in there. So super casual, live music, another fun little spot for people to hang out. So that's September, October. Excellent. Give it up for Ford Fry, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Cape Lions. Hospitality. It can go a long way in helping quell fear, build bridges, and out of that, solve problems together. And Gabe, Do you have a way for our listeners to start putting into practice the art of hospitality? Practically, there's a way we have for you to do that very soon. On October 25th, in fact, I'm going to invite you to host a dinner in your home. Now, we do something every year called Q Commons. Maybe you've heard of it. Around the world, we have over 100 locations that host an event on one evening. That's kind of a town hall style meeting where people really come together with one another. They listen to ideas. We broadcast a few of those talks in that allow them to think well. But they also invite local presenters in their own city to give talks, to address local concerns. 
And so if you live in a city that's hosting Q Commons, I want you to put it on your calendar right now from 7 p.m. till 9 p.m. Two hours you're going to commit to going to that location. It could be in a museum. It could be at a church. It could be at some other public location. But figure out if there's a Q Commons location in your city at QCommons.com. Now, if you're in a city that doesn't have a Q Commons, and I know that many of your cities won't because with only 150 or so locations, it's not likely that everybody listening to this has something really close to home. And we want to give you an empowerment message here. We want you to actually go out and host this in your home. Maybe you host dinner. Maybe you bring together some some friends and enjoy great food. But you sit together and join us for this broadcast where you actually can be a part of an evening where tens of thousands of others are gathering together in their cities, in churches, on college campuses to have a discussion around the theme we've called for this night, the power of we, the power of we, W-E. And, and we feel like, man, what a great way for us to respond, for the church to respond, for Christians to respond, to say, hey, it's a place where we want to bring people together, maybe of different opinions. Maybe we've not spent a lot of time with our neighbors lately, and this is a chance to invite them into a more substantive evening, not only dinner, but a conversation. And on this particular night, you'll hear talks. We'll give you discussion guides. There'll be a way for you to actually host a conversation over a couple of hours in your home that's light and allows you to get into dialogues that you probably wouldn't just normally bring up, but then also allows you to listen, allows you to be a part of conversations with people that you really care about and actually hear what they believe. And so I encourage you to do that by going to QCommons.com, seeing if there's one in your city. If there's not, sign up now to host our home gathering. It's only $59 and allows you to get access to all these materials, invite as many people as you want over to your home, and enjoy this evening. For our international audience, this is a great way for you to lead and participate in your city or in your community, where many times I realize the environments aren't such that there's large public gatherings of Christians, but in the privacy of your own home, bring people together. Get on your laptop, get on your Apple TV and host Q Commons, bring it into your home, help expose others that Christians are trying to not only be curious, but we're trying to think well about these issues and these problems. But then we realize that we can only solve them by working together with other people. And so I hope you'll join us, QCommons.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Share it with others. You can always watch this talk online at QIdeas.org along with hundreds of other talks that we make available to you. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll have a great week, and I hope you'll be a part of partnering with us on October 25th to invite others into your home so that they can have an experience like you're having today on this podcast. Until next time, I'm Gabe Lyons. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.